Okay, let me have your attention. Go ahead and sit down. Anybody get any free lunch invitations? Anybody? Uh, I want to introduce you to David Walls. Say good morning to David. David is a new executive director of the Kentucky Family Foundation. And he, our own Kent Ostrander, retired. And Brother David is stepping into his wonderful shoes. But we want to show you a video right quick. Hi, my name is David Walls, the executive director of the Family Foundation in Kentucky. Like every pro-life Kentuckian, I rejoiced when Roe v. Wade was finally overturned. Nearly 300,000 babies in Kentucky and 65 million across our nation were killed under Roe. But that righteous decision that so many of us worked and prayed for was only the beginning. On November 8th here in Kentucky, we have the opportunity to honor the Lord with our vote by voting yes for life on constitutional amendment number two. Amendment number two simply says, to protect human life, nothing in this constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. By voting yes on amendment two, we can vote our pro-life values into the Kentucky constitution and prevent pro-abortion judges from imposing an extreme abortion on demand agenda on our beloved commonwealth. Future generations of preborn Kentuckians, each fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, are counting on our pro-life vote on November 8th. We need every believer to vote yes on Amendment 2 and to encourage their family, church, and community to join them. I pray that by passing Amendment 2, we can continue to build a culture of life here in Kentucky that honors the Lord and protects all His image bearers and is a blessing to all people. Thank you. And God bless. Well, it is, uh, it is good to be with you all this morning. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to, to talk a little bit about this important issue. You know, I, I am just excited and thankful to the Lord. For the first time in the history of our commonwealth, we have the opportunity before us to vote our pro-life values into the Kentucky Constitution on November 8th. Amendment 2 uh, is a simple but vitally important proposed constitutional amendment, and it does two very important things. It makes crystal clear that our Kentucky Constitution does not contain a right to take the life of an unborn child or to facilitate or use our tax dollars to pay for taking the life of an unborn child. This important language will prevent activist judges from asserting their preferences over the will of of we the people. And really the urgency of this has has just really gone off the charts since Roe has been overturned. The pro-life laws of Kentucky that are in effect right now and that are saving lives have have, uh, come under direct a challenge uh, since Roe was overturned. As we sit here right now, November 8th is before us. Tuesday, November 15th, one week after the election day, the Kentucky Supreme Court will be hearing a challenge from the pro-abortion industry about whether the Kentucky Constitution contains a right to an abortion or not. We truly have a unique God-given opportunity to get out and vote yes on Amendment 2 and to close the door on what could potentially be an activist court decision that would essentially... um, undo the great pro-life laws that have already gone into effect. So it's just so vitally important. But one of the important things is between now and Election Day, and actually early voting starts this week on Thursday, how can we as individuals in the church be engaged? You know, as Christians, we know that throughout the uh, Scripture, the biblical truth that we were all created in the image of God, that there really is a biblical mandate to promote life. We serve a pro-life God, that children are a blessing from the Lord. We know these things to be true. We also know that throughout church history, the church, Christians have played a vital role in promoting truth and justice in our society. It was Christians compelled by their faith who formed the abolitionist movement and helped put an end to slavery. Thanks be to God, in this moment, in this hour, he has provided us here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky a big part, a big opportunity to play a role in ending the largest human rights atrocity of our generation, abortion. As believers, we believe we have a responsibility to be a voice for the voiceless, 
This is an important way that we can love our neighbor, protect the future generation of preborn Kentuckians that are um, looking to us to take a stand on November 8th. So I will just leave folks with two important ways that we can engage from now until Election Day. First and, firm, uh, first and foremost, pray. Pray, pray, pray. My hope and prayer is that the body of Christ across Kentucky will rise up and will get out and vote righteously on November 8th. But pray for discernment, for wisdom for Kentuckians. We're in, uh, seeing an onslaught of ads. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are pouring into Kentucky to defeat this amendment. So pray for discernment and so that the, uh, truth can get out before Election Day. And then secondly, I would just challenge folks to engage personally, particularly here in uh, here in. Um, Lexington and uh, and in Louisville, we have such a opportunity and responsibility to get the word out person to person. Share information with your neighbors, uh, with obviously with the congregation here, with other uh, churches and pastors that you're in connection with. Uh, I firmly believe that God has uniquely provided Kentucky in this moment to be a leader on the issue of life. So let's do all we can between now and November 8th and make sure that we get out and vote righteously so we can stand up for the unborn and help build a culture of life here in Kentucky and bless other states across the nation that are looking to Kentucky to take a stand in this important hour. Thank you again for the opportunity to be with you. Thanks and God bless. Let me just mention a couple of things because we are a family and family we talk about things. I hope every Christian votes. It's our responsibility to vote. There's two amendments on the ballot and the first one is about as long as both of my legs and it's hard to understand it. They had a hard time explaining it to me at the courthouse. But here's what the amendment number one means. Our legislative sessions, one year it's 60 days, like January to March. The next year it's only 30 days, and that's when they meet. This past couple of years, our governor decided on his own to close churches, businesses, restaurants, and the legislature couldn't do anything because they couldn't meet. So that First Amendment says we're asking the state of Kentucky to give us the freedom to call a meeting if we need to for the sake of our state. So I'm voting for one and two as yes, you vote your conscience. And let me mention about what David just talked about. The Christians in Kansas got snookered when they had the chance to vote for this because of the ads that came out. And the ads said the same things that we're hearing here. But I want to tell you the truth because they're deceptive. Only half of 1% of all pregnancies that they're saying is such a, a huge deal, and it does matter, are because of the abortion for the danger of the mother or for rape or incest. But that's only half of 1%. So 99.5% of abortions are because of greed or they don't want to be inconvenienced or ignorance or fear. So that's what we're dealing with. So 37 states are going to decide whether it is right or wrong to kill a baby even the day before it's born. So we pray that Christians in this state would stand for life and would honor God and this does not mean that doctors cannot do medicine to help women in those situations. The other thing I want to show before we pray, what color is the card? If you've been around our church for a while, we don't take up offerings. We have offering boxes, which is weird in many ways, but it works for us. And we use this yellow card. If you're a guest or you're new, don't worry about this. But this is what our home family does. There's three boxes. First box says, I believe in tithes, and I'm in. This is what I estimate my tithe to be next year. The second box is, I'm not quite there, but I want to get started. The third box, 
I want to give to missions through my local church over and above my tithe. And this is what I'm asking the Lord to put in my hands this year extra so I can do that. This is not a pledge. You'll never be called on it. But the elders will look at this to help set the budget for this next year. So in two weeks on Mission Sunday, our people will stand up with their cards filled out. And they'll come down and place them in the basket. Some people have already done it today. So I just want to tell you what's coming and how it works. Now let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you're working in the background and the foreground. Now Lord, teach us today and change us forever. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Everybody got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up. Okay, go to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, the topic is why the tithe is important to your future. This is my one annual giving message, and today you get it. How about that? Say, I love you, Pastor. Oh, that makes me feel so so special. There's a sweet woman lived in the country. She was older. She was a widow. She was living on Social Security. Everybody knew her, called her grandma. Everyone say grandma. And grandma in her little house with a front porch, every morning at sunrise, she would get up, she would go to the front porch, and at the top of her voice, she would say, praise the Lord, you are good today. Try with me, please. Praise the Lord, you are good today. And she did that every morning, and everybody saw her, everybody heard her, and she didn't really care. But right beside her, in the house beside her, was an older guy. He was kind of a crudmudgeon. He was, he swore like a sailor. He was a rough guy. He called himself an atheist and he would debate with grandma that God doesn't exist and God doesn't care and God's not around. And she just irritated him every time he, she did this. And so he knew she was going through a hard time financially and he got a thought. He was at the grocery store. He bought about $80 worth of groceries. He put them in a box. Before the sun came up, he snuck over to grandma's porch and he put them on grandma's porch right in front of the door. So when grandma came out, she would either see him or fall over him. Then he got a little wicker chair and he sat around the corner where she couldn't see him. And he just wanted to catch grandma praising the Lord. So grandma came out the door and she saw that box of groceries and she said, well, bless God, praise the Lord. He is so good to me today. And look how he has provided for me. And about the time her older atheist friend came around the corner, said, ha ha, I got you. God didn't provide that for you. I bought it myself and put it on your porch. And she said, that's even more why I can praise your name, oh God, because you brought me groceries and you caused the devil to pay for it. (laughs) Bless grandma's heart. Now, today, I pray today will be a life-changing blessing for you. This will change your life about as much as anything because life is about what is life about? Remember, answers on the screen. What? It's about sowing. It is about reaping. And when Moses, Moses, when Noah, Napoleon, somebody got off the ark. <laughs> the Lord said, I want you to know something. As long as earth exists, there will always be seed time. There will always be harvest on the earth. And I want you to remember that. So, whatsoever you sow is always what you reap. Now, let's look at Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse number 7. Paul writes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever. Say that with me, please. Whatever. More time, say whatever. Whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Holy Spirit reap a blessed eternal life. 
Don't ever lose heart in sowing, doing good for in due time. Everyone say due time. We don't know when the due time is, but he does when due time, we will always reap if we don't get weary, if we don't stop. Now the harvest of what you sow always comes later than you sow. For instance, if you plant today, you're, you're not going to reap today. In this agrarian culture, you planted in March or April. The crops came in September and October. I like to say to you, my friends and family, what we're doing today is not for today. It's for 20 years from now. It's for people we don't even know. The prayers, the worship, the giving, the missions, the evangelism, the Bible teaching. And also the harvest of what you sow is always greater than what you sowed. So it's always later. And it's always greater. For instance, I did a series of revivals in Illinois. It was corn country. And I stayed with a farmer who had about a thousand acres of corn. And we were talking about corn crops. And I just asked him questions I didn't know, like, how many ear of corn is on a stalk? One, sometimes two, but this is a single kernel of corn. That gets planted in fertile soil. It produces a plant. And the plant, if it produces one ear, the average number of kernels is probably 800. It could be six, it could be 1200. But he told me, this farmer, it was always an even number. Always. Always an even number. So if the corn rows are planted, if like the corn kernels are planted 30 inches apart on a single acre, they could have 30 thousand corn plants. It's called multiplication. Now, the things that you and I sow every day can bring a great harvest. If you sow love, will you get love back? Yes or no? Because love never fails. If the Lord has told you to love somebody, you just go love them and don't worry about whether they respond. It will impact them. If you sow respect at your work, if you sow respect in your family, you will get respect back. If When we sow the Bible, you read the Bible, you're sowing into your life. When you pray, you're sowing into your life and the lives of your family. You're sowing into the city, you're sowing into the nations, and every time you pray, you're sowing Prayers. And prayers are kept in beautiful bowls by the Father, and He smells the aromas, and they they keep working long after you and I are gone off the planet. Every time you share Christ, you, every time you share the gospel, you are sowing eternal seeds. I feel sorry for people that don't have many friends. There's one answer why people don't have friends. Do you know why? They're not very friendly. If you sow friendship, just look for somebody that doesn't have any friends. You'll have more friends than you can even believe. Just sow friendship every day. Be a friend to someone. When you serve in the name of Jesus, it will come back to you. We serve out of obedience, but it always comes back. Because everything you do this next week will be a seed. And I want to say, keep sowing. Never stop sowing. Keep sowing, remember? That's who you are. We prayed for a couple after the first service. They lived in Vietnam for 12 years. And I've heard the story, but they went there 
because it was illegal to do work there. And so they started a counseling practice and five young men came to Christ and they've seen thousands of Vietnamese baptized where it's illegal. And they've seen hundreds of churches planted where it's illegal and they're just sowers of the gospel. Acts of kindness. You want to be in the ministry? Just show kindness to someone every day. Go out of your way to be kind. And your time. All of us have 24 hours. All of us have 168 hours each week. And I would say don't waste your time. Instead, invest your time. Think about what will give you the greatest return for the use of your time. And honesty, if you're honest all the time, it will come back to be a blessing. If you forgive people when they wrong you, it will be a blessing to you because God will see you doing that and it will elevate you. See that wonderful smile this young woman has? I think we ought to try something. Turn to your neighbor right now. Would you just smile? Show some teeth. Pull your little cheekies back. Have you ever walked into Kroger or walked into some store? Everybody's got their head down. Everybody's in a hurry. Try something like I did yesterday. You see a stranger coming out. Just smile at them. And say good morning to them. You are sowing into a person's life. By being a blessing, because seeds will always come up, always. Now, these are also seeds. They are dark seeds. They are bad seeds, and we've sown them fear. Everyone say fear. Fear is a contagious crop. Once you give in to fear, fear starts controlling your head and your heart. We should learn to fear nothing but God and Him alone. And then hate. We've seen so much hate in our nation. So much hate around the world. And bitterness is contagious. We don't want to sow that. We want to negate that and lust. If you get into lust, and most people do at some point or the other, it will, that seed will keep growing And the crop will get bigger until it will dominate you and ruin you from the inside out. That's good preaching. Someone say amen. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Angry words. Have you ever said an angry word? Have you noticed once angry words start in your house, it just becomes the norm? Some people yell, some people scream, some people shout. And the scripture says, don't even hang out with an angry man because you'll end up picking that trait up from him because the seeds will get into you and you will learn the pattern and you'll have a crop of anger which will ruin your life too. Being dishonest. Showing duplicity. Always show integrity. Here's another one. Cursing. Has anybody in here ever sworn like a sailor? Have you ever noticed how it started? I was raised by parents. I never heard either of them curse. But as a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, I started playing ball with older guys. And all of a sudden, I had filthy mouth. Have you ever noticed once you start, you it's almost, I won't say impossible, it's difficult to not let those things come out of your mouth when you're under pressure. But every time it comes out, you're sowing a dark seed and you're actually doing harm to yourself, harm to other people, and you're inviting dark spirits to be with you. The scripture says, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But only such a word of grace that it may lift people when they need it. And then doubt. This is very important. In our universities and sometimes our high schools, we're taught that doubt is good. Doubt is never good. 
It's okay to question things. And the Bible will hold up to scrutiny. But if you feed your doubts, you will find yourself in a spiral and your faith will start collapsing and you will get yourself in a place you have no faith. And when you lose your faith, you're in trouble. Because you don't trust God anymore. And it will destroy you. Violence is another thing. And then here's another one, promiscuity. The culture I grew up in in the 60s and 70s was a time of great promiscuity. People did all kind of stuff. But what happens is it becomes a crop inside you. I want to say don't yield to that. Keep yourself. Obey the Lord. Keep yourself sexually pure. And it will be a blessing. That is a good crop. And this may not be popular to say, but I'm going to say it because I love people. And I love people in the gay lifestyle. I will always love them unconditionally, but I will never tell them what they're doing is good. Well, I was born a homosexual, or I have these feelings. Hey, I get feelings. I get that. We have feelings about a lot of things. But when some of my young friends tell me, well, I've decided I am a homosexual, I usually say something like, well, honey, you're not. What has happened, you have sown seeds in your head and your heart and you've acted on on them and this crop that will destroy you has just grown and run rampant. And then here's another one, drunkenness. First drink is easy. Second drink, third drink, fourth drink, before you know it, you're partying with your friends before you know it. You got to do it every day before you know it. You can't control it. What's happened? You sowed the seed. And it's come up a crop. And I would just say, as a teenager on my way to being an alcoholic, I found Christ at 18. Took me another year to get off of it. I got alcoholism on both sides of my family. It was destroying me as a teenager. And I'm so grateful that I got off of it. The Lord gave me grace. It is a dark, bitter, deceptive, destructive weed. And here's another one that our commentators don't get. Because over the last 50 years, we have all these children that have lost their lives in the womb. And then we have all the violence on the streets in our cities, including Lexington. And they can't see that that's a link because we have dishonored the Lord by shedding innocent blood. And the blood of the innocent cries out to the Lord. And it's unleashed a wave of violence and murder in our land. We've sown to the wind, the prophet says, and we've reaped A whirlwind. Now, so, pastor, how do I change my life? It's not easy, but it's simple. Here's how you do it. So what is right every day in your life? Monday morning, determine what you're going to say, think, what your activities are. Sow what is right and stop sowing what is destructive. And you'll gradually... Darkness will release its hold on you as you let the Holy Spirit grow inside you. Now, it is impossible to break this law. That can work against you, but it can also work for you. It's impossible to break the law. We always reap what we sow. It will always be later. It will always be greater. Now, Turn with me to Malachi. Go to the, you say, well, I can't even find it, much less spell it. Go to Matthew and go back a page or two and you're at Malachi. The tithe is your seed for your financial future. And I want to say, there's a lot of freedom in our church. 
You don't have to believe what I believe. But here's what I challenge you to do. Anybody that teaches from this pulpit, you don't have to just swallow what they say. Here's what I want you to do. You wrestle with the scripture. And then you listen to the spirit of God as he speaks to you. And then you do whatever he asks you to do. Now in Malachi chapter 3, look at verse number 8. I teach on this every single year. Why do you do it every single year? Because I want our people to be blessed. I grew up in a church that never mentioned it. My family, we were ignorant of it. We had to hear this outside of the church because one, the church didn't preach the scriptures. Two, my family was ignorant of the scriptures. We never prayed. We never read the Bible because no one ever taught us to do so. It's very sad. I had to go outside the church to hear the truth of this. After we heard the truth of it, my family was blessed by it. Starting at verse number eight, will a man rob God? Yet you say, you're robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? And the answer is twofold, in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. What do you mean, cursed with a curse? A curse is an invisible force field that caps you out. You can't get ahead. You can't get out of debt. You keep struggling over and over because the Lord has stepped back because you're not listening. And the enemy has placed this cap on you. It's called a curse. Verse 10, what's the solution to the curse? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And test me now on this. Everyone say, test me. Only time in the Bible it's mentioned. Would you please underline that? Only time in the Bible God says to do this because he knows this is not easy for us. So he says, test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. And verse 11 starts off with then, then and only then. Well, I rebuke the devourer for you so it will not destroy the fruit of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of the hosts. This is an agrarian society. If your wheat crop gets blight, if you don't get rain, you're as a farmer, you're in trouble. And verse 12, and then all the nations will look at you and say, wow, those guys are blessed and you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now let me go through this. You're a brand new Christian. You've never heard this. You just moved here from Cambodia. You don't know anything about the Bible. Let me explain it so you can be blessed. What is the tithe? The tithe is the first, everyone say first, the first tenth of all your income. Well, how is it different from offerings? Offerings are anything above the ten. Offerings start at 11, 12. I know some people that are giving away 20% of their income, 50% of their income. And the more they give, the more they're blessed. But the offerings start at 11. And it belongs to him. The tithe belongs to him. The scripture says that. Now, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. And it is holy to the Lord. He says two things. It belongs to me and it's holy and you shouldn't touch it. Because if we touch or use it, what belongs to him, he considers it to be theft. Now here my family, we didn't know this and we our mouths dropped open because we get, oh my Lord, we have been stealing from you all these years, and we didn't even know it. Just like when they went into the promised land, the Lord gave clear boundaries. The very first city you take, Jericho, everything inside is mine. You can't touch anything. Animal, gold, silver, 
clothing, furniture, it all belongs to me. And one guy didn't pay attention. One guy couldn't wait. He couldn't wait 30 days. He couldn't wait three months. The Lord said, I'm going to give you farms. I'm going to give you wells. I'm going to give you fences. I'm going to give you water. I'm going to give you everything you need. But the first one belongs to me. Don't, don't, don't touch it. And he ruined it for a lot of people. This guy named Achan. Point number three. The tithe is never about money. Don't make it about money. It's never about money. It's about three things. Well, what are the three things, Steve? Well, here's what they are. The first one, the Lord says clearly, the purpose of the tithe is to teach you, my people, to fear and trust me. We talked a couple of weeks ago, what does the fear of the Lord mean? The fear of the Lord means supreme respect. I respect him more than anything. I want to honor him before I honor anybody. And the scripture says in Deuteronomy, you shall certainly tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes from the field every year. And what's the reason? So you may learn the fear of the Lord always. And the second reason. He uses a tithe as a test. Everyone say test. What do you mean a test? Did you know God tests his children? He does. He told Abraham after giving this promised son. Now I want to see if you love that boy more than you love me. Demonstrate it for me. Because the purpose of the test, like it's either pass, fail. Pass, fail. Will you be faithful in what I've given you? Or will you hold on to what I've given you and act like it belongs to you? Because Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little, what's the rest of it? I know you'll be faithful in more. If you're faithful at $20,000 a year salary, God knows you will be faithful at 40. But if he sees you're not faithful at 20, why would he help you get to 40? Because it's just going to hurt you. So he's not going to work behind the scenes to help you because you told him not to. The third reason for the tithe is its seed for your future. Yeah, we eat part of the seed, but we don't eat all of it. A part of it is for sowing, and the Lord tells us the tithe is for our future good. So what we do this year is for our blessing next year. Now, one of the worst things you can do, I've been in places like India and Ethiopia and Iraq where you have droughts and great hardship and war. But if the poor people eat all of their seed, they have nothing to plant in March. Which means there's no crop in September. Because they ate all the crop. So he tells us, here's what you do. I'm giving you a portion for saving, a portion to live on. But I want you to bring the whole tithe to the local storehouse. He uses the word his house twice, which is the local church where people are spiritually fed. And I believe this is God's plan for Christians in Vietnam in Russia, in Argentina, in Chicago, in Texas. Because it is a biblical plan. And he says the reason that there may be food in my house. If I lived in Vietnam and my church was 25 people and I was a business person, my tithe would go to that church of 25 people. You say, well, pastor, what's God's heart? He's showing us. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants you to have a stronger year next year than you did this year. He's telling us this. If you will honor me, 
If you will trust me, even when it makes no sense, here's my goal. He said, I will open the windows of heaven over your life. And just out of curiosity, how many would you like for the Lord to open the windows of heaven over your life over this next year? I do. I want it always open. Open over the church. Open over my family. Open over the city. So this is why I teach on this. I want you to have an open heaven. I want you to be blessed. Now here's a principle. It's over your lifetime, not over the next 30 days. For instance, if someone says, well, pastor, I tried that and it didn't work. And I go, well, how long did you do it for? Oh, I did it for two weeks. I go, well, that's your problem. It's over the expanse of many years that you see this play out. If you honor the Lord with tithes and offerings, doesn't mean your car will never break down. It doesn't mean you won't be laid off. It doesn't mean you won't have shortages, but it means every time the Lord's going to come through for you. And he's going to lift you and he's going to help you. And his, this is the Father's heart. He wants to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's called a blessing. The blessing means I have this much ability and he comes along and does this much more for me. He does what I can never do for myself. And God wants to protect your resources from, and he names who the attacker is, the devourer. You say, well, pastor, I'm a single mom. It's really tight in my house. How can I live on 10% less? Well, I go, he wants to be a father to the fatherless. He wants to be a defender of the widow, the single mother. That's what he says. But you have to give him something to work with. He asks you, all of us, to take the 10% and let him work with that seed so he can bless your 90%. But if you insist on keeping your 100%, you and I are pretty much on our own because the devourer, who is Satan, he wants to steal from you. He wants to kill everything around you, like what? Kill your marriage, kill your health, kill your finances, mess with your kids, kill your attitude, kill your prayer life. That's just what he does. He steals and he kills and destroys And he wants to just wipe out your future. So, your pastor's admonition is don't disobey the Lord and tell him to stop defending you. Because the tithe combats two of our most dangerous spiritual enemies. Do you know what they are? They mess with all of us. And they are spirits. And the first one is fear. Everyone say fear. What do you mean fear? Fear that you won't have enough. Now when Sue and I heard this message, I worked for a newspaper. Sue taught public school. I had a better paying job. I quit the job because of a bad attitude that I had. I did not obey the Lord. We had a lot of debt. And when I quit my job, it took me six months to find this newspaper job. And we like to starve. I had a house payment, a car payment. We had medical bills. We had credit card. We had college payments. I did not even know that my wife had three college loans that I did not know about when we got married. And I found out. And when I didn't have the income, people started calling. And so when I heard this, I go, if I'm not making it on a hundred percent, how am I going to make it on 90%? Let me tell you how bad off we were. We were three months behind on our house payment. Three. I came home 
at, at, at winter time and drove in my driveway and there were no lights in my house. Do you know why there were no lights in my house? Because my power had been shut off because I had not paid my bill. And I had a really nice Oldsmobile. And there were a bunch of nights I had to park my Oldsmobile a block away. Do you know why I parked my Oldsmobile a block away? Because Mr. GMAC would have come and got it during the night. Because I was behind on my car payments. And I needed that car to pay my bills off. So when we saw this, we're going, Lord, how could this work? And fear almost got me. And the other one is greed. Everyone say greed. You know what greed means? That your income belongs to you. It's my money, Lord. I earned it. I built this. It's my deal. It's my money. I go, honey, you don't own anything on this planet. You think you own it? The death angel shows up at your house. You're not taking any of it with you. By the way, the Bible tells us what we are. We're not owners. We are what? Steward. You know what a steward is? A manager. I just manage stuff. It all belongs to him. Now, you may not know this. It may not be true. But years ago when I started doing this, funeral homes would sell suits for people that lost somebody and need to be buried in a suit. But their suits were unusual. They had no pockets in them. I actually bought a sport coat. I thought it was a good deal. There are no pockets. Do you know why there's no pockets at funeral homes sell their suits? Do you know why? Because you don't need them. You're not taking anything with you. It's all staying here. So you don't need it. So if you don't tithe, in my opinion, it just means you're showing the Lord, I don't trust you enough. I don't trust you to meet my needs. I'm going to do it on my own, Lord. It means you you can't see what God's trying to communicate. Now, this is kind of a gutsy message to preach. I love preaching it in other churches and seeing other churches blessed because people write me letters. Hey, we got our farm paid off and my kids got scholarships and we got out of debt and I got the job I needed because we honored the Lord. I love those kind of letters and texts and stuff. But I'll never forget, We over the years, we've had a number of businessmen that have come to this church and are friends and close to me. And I would see them when I would teach on this once a year and they'd sit there like this, shaking their head. Nope, ain't gonna do it. Not gonna do it. No way, no way, no way. Not for me. That is not God's word. And most of them, a couple of them were in bankruptcy. They had lost everything. And they sat through this message once a year for several years. Then I started seeing them drop their hands like this. I started seeing them take notes. Then I started seeing them put a yellow card in the plate. And I watched God rebuild their businesses. And I saw them go from being broke to being blessed. And they would give you that testimony today. Because they learned to trust the Lord. But if you succumbed to these two wicked foes, they are really unclean spirits that hate you, that whisper, you don't have enough. It belongs to you. God can't do it. So let me give you some basic questions as we get ready to close, okay? Because you may be like me. You don't know anything about this. Well, sometimes a preacher will say or somebody will say, well, that's Old Testament principle. That was in the law. I go, no, you don't really know your Bible. It was 400 years before the law. It's a biblical principle all the way through the Bible. Jesus reaffirmed the tithe. In Hebrews chapter 7, the tithe is mentioned seven times because it was very important to the Jewish people. And the writer of Hebrews said, when Abraham gave an offering, gave a tithe to this king who had no beginning and no end, Melchizedek. That king, the greater, blessed the lesser, which is what God has done for me. 
And I think it's one of the reasons the Jewish people are some of the most prosperous people in the world because this has been part of their culture over all these years. Well, what if I'm in debt, Steve? I can't pay that. I, I'm, I can't get out of debt myself. Well, you got to remember debt is a symptom. Either that you're a very poor manager like I have been or you're probably robbing God and you're hitting a ceiling. And you can't get past the ceiling. I've just found it is the quickest way to get out of debt. And here's what Sue and I did. I think I was 28 years of age. We started paying tithes. And in three years, we paid off every debt. Now, our lifestyle didn't increase. And I worked like a little dog. But after three years, I went, oh my goodness, this works. I had less money and we paid off all these debts. Now we're debt free. That is a miracle. Well, pastor, I'm in college. I'm at Asbury or I'm at UK and surely God wouldn't want me to tithe now. I can do it when I'm in med school. I can do it later on. I can do it 30 years from now. Well... I think it'd be better to let him help you get through college. Maybe without debt. Wouldn't that be a better plan? Well, can I use my tithe to help somebody in my family? Like send my kid to a Christian college or help my dumb brother-in-law fix his transmission. I go, you can, but that's not the purpose. You're kind of helping yourself. How about, well, Steve, should I just pay my bills first and then pay God later on down the line? I go, not if you're smart, because what will happen? If you wait till every single thing is paid, guess what will happen? You will give God whatever you have left over. And the leftover won't be very much. And you'll say, well, next time, Lord, I'll try to do better. Well, next time it's the same because you got your priorities and it doesn't please the Lord. And you're on this endless cycle. I think we should give the Lord the very best we have, not the leftover. Malachi 1 verse 8 says, the Lord is saying to his people, when you bring your offerings, why do you bring me the crippled sheep? Why do you bring me the one that's about to die? Do you think that pleases me? Try doing that to the king. See how he likes it. So here's what I said to my beloved who wrote the checks. And my beloved still writes a check. Once a month she writes a tithe check. And she makes, she does a check for missions. And sometimes we throw in another check for Israel too. We want to grow our offerings. But I go, honey, pay the Lord first. If the power shut off, we'll just be shut off and we'll put blankets on. If we need to eat peanut butter, we'll just eat peanut butter. But pay the Lord first. We never had to do that. Well, do I tithe on the gross or the net? Do you know the difference? The gross is what the company says your salary is. The net is actually what you take home. For instance, if your salary is $40,000, your net may actually be 32 or 33 or something. Taxes, Social Security, retirement, all kind of other things. Well, the principle is, do you want him to bless which one, the gross or the net? I want him to bless my gross. Honor the Lord from the first of all your produce, the scripture says. Number seven, worship team, would you come out, please? Well, pastor, how about this? Here's a couple more questions. Should I tithe on my Social Security? I'm 65. I'm getting a Social Security check. I get a Social Security check. I tithe on it. Well, pastor, should I should I tithe on retirement funds? I would suggest you would. If you want the Lord to bless them. Uh, this day and time, we want the Lord to bless our retirement funds. They have kind of gone somewhere. Well, how about from an inheritance that gets received? 
Well, when my parents passed away, my brother and I received an inheritance. The first thing we did, we wrote a tithe check. Well, how about that? How about the proceeds from something I sold? Well, what are you talking about? Well, I, I paid $200,000 for a house. I sold it for three seventy-five. What do I tithe on? The profit. You tithe on the profit. Now, why, Steve, should I do that? Especially if I'm living on a fixed income, it's more important. You want the Lord to protect your assets. You want the Lord to bless what you've got. It is not how much money you make, it's how much he blesses. That's important. Okay, well, here's the clincher. What do I do, Steve? If I know I've been unfaithful to the Lord. Well, you do what you do with any sin that you realize you've committed. This is exactly what Sue and I did. We heard this on a Saturday night. We came home to our house after that two-hour drive. Sue and I had an old raggedy orange couch. And we knelt on our floor in our little house. And we confessed what we had done. Lord, we didn't know. But we have robbed you. And we have touched what you said is holy. And we are sorry we repented of that. And then we couldn't go back. And pay what we owed. You know, we just went, there's no capacity to do that. But the Lord is merciful and forgiving. And he meets us right right where we are. So we said we repent, which means we're going to change our ways. And we're going to start the next morning. And we're going to write a check for what our income, a percent, 10% of what we got this week. And that's what we did. And we've never stopped. Now, I have a a big foot. Some of you guys in this room have bigger feet than me. But the Lord takes his big foot that may be a thousand miles long. And he draws a line in the sand across the universe. And he says this, Steve, I know it's hard. But I'm drawing the line. You're on this side. I'm on the other side. Test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing and meet your needs. And I tell people, don't do it for a month. Don't do it for three months. Do it for a year. Do it for a year. Evaluate at the end of the year. If you're not convinced that the Lord has opened doors for you, helped you, then just stop it. We'll all burn our Bibles and say, God lies. God's not true. But we've ne- I've never had one person, never had one. They always say, thank you. This is the best year we've ever had. Now, here's a sample prayer. Kind of like what Sue and I prayed, and I want to read it to you. And if it touches your heart, this is between you and God. The second time we'll reread it. And you pray it. Make it your prayer. And it goes like this. Dear Lord, I confess that I have disobeyed you by eating the seed that you gave me to plant for my financial future. I confess I've dishonored you by stealing from you what the scripture says is holy. I therefore repent of my sin today. And promise to obey you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Now, this is your heart, your honest heart. And you want to test the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to do what you told me to do. And I'll wait to see what you do on your end. Pray this with me as I pray it again. Just quietly, just say, Dear Lord. I confess that I disobeyed you by eating the seed that you gave me to plant 
for my financial future. I confess that I've dishonored you by stealing from you what the scripture says is holy. I repent of my sin and I promise to obey you from this day forward in Jesus' name. And Father, release faith in the room. Release grace in the room. We bind fear. We bind greed. In Jesus' name. Now the altar is open as we close with this worship song. You're welcome to come and do business with the Lord. There's people here that will pray with you on both sides. But enjoy the Lord in these next moments.
beginning to worship, um, that there was just a freedom here and that there were many angels here to set many people free. And if you feel like there's something in your life that you're wrestling with that you can't shake, I want you to know that there is faith in the room and that there is freedom. Please come up and let us agree with you. Please let us agree with you in faith to see you be freed this morning from whatever bondage it is. Um, He also saw that there's someone um, that is wanting a baby, and we want to agree with you in prayer for that. Maybe a healing um, coming with the uterus. And if that's you, we would be honored to pray for you. And uh, if you're ready to receive Christ, you're watching online. Open your heart and say, Jesus, be my Savior today. I'm tired of running. Make me your son, your daughter. Give me a home in heaven, and today I surrender to you for the rest of my life. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Come for prayer. Pick up your sweet children. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Also, visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.